0: Mediated Conversation on SAFM. 27 minutes to 9 the time. Good morning. Time for your Mediated Conversation this morning. Last week, the international British-based bank, Standard Chartered, came to a deal with the competition commission that it will pay a fine of 42 million rand for the role its traders played in the manipulation of the value of the rand. This goes back a long way. It's the second bank to pay a fine for this. U.S.-based Citibank made a payment of around 70 million rand in 2017, nearly six years ago, but the actual offences, or alleged offences, depending on your view, happened long before then. So while Standard Chartered has agreed to make this payment, over 20 other international banks have instead gone to the Competition Appeal Court. They say the Competition Commission must show it has proof against them and that their traders were involved in manipulating the value of the currency. In other words, it's saying there is no proof. They're disputing that they were involved in this, even though it would seem that people would have been working, that they would have been working with the two banks who have agreed to pay fines for their roles in this. I should point out that, as I understand it, it is impossible for a group of traders to really change the value of the rand over the longer term. Uh, What I've been told is that these traders were trying to manipulate currency fluctuations in a very narrow band. My understanding might be different at the end of this conversation. So then, what was happening and why did these banks do this? And why has it taken at least a full six years to get to this point when the Competition Commission has said in the past it should be able to get convictions very easily? First this morning, what actually happened? Saviso Kanjana is the Managing Director of ESG Analytics. Then, why would banks do this? What was in it for them? Chris Gilmore is a banking analyst and then the impact on our economy, was there one? Iraj Abedian is an economist and CEO at Pan-African Investment and Research Services. We start then with Safiso Skenjana from ESG Analytics. Safiso, good morning and thanks for your time. Hey. Um, this goes back a long time. It goes back to chat rooms where traders were having conversations. What is the claim against them? What were they allegedly doing?
1: Yeah, I mean, Stephen, uh, in essence, I think, uh, you know, it, uh, as you said, that there was use of these chat rooms and um, through those chat rooms, there was a sharing of information. Um, in essence, um, you know, during the course of the trading day between, I guess, the alleged banks. Um, and simply, I mean, I think the kind of three big things that uh, seem to have been happening there. The one is called front running. And in essence, it's really around, you know, uh, you know, trading, uh, you know, it's almost like insider trading, but it's trading really based on uh, you know uh, pending orders. And so, in essence, you're front loading uh, your orders for your own benefit based on information, in essence, that is privileged information. In essence, in this in, in this in this instance, of course, information that is expected to to create some market movement. And then the other one is really around working around what happens um, at close of market, particularly in the derivative markets and uh, often an issue called banging the close, even and it's really again um, ensuring that you know you artificially uh, inflate your closing um, price on your derivatives so that when market opens the next day and then you're able to get in essence uh, uh, you know benefits on that as well and that's also one of the things that was uh, i guess uh, being observed there and then the last thing is is really i think uh, this issue around you know painting the tape Um, which is, in essence, um, when uh, these currency traders, you know, um, again, um, you know, create these trades among themselves to create an artificial sense of activity and and, and increased levels of of activity that then, of course, um, signals to investors that the interest uh, and, and, and often then tends to push up the price. And so these are some of the things, I think, um, you know, that, uh, of course, uh, you know, we're, were were being observed in terms of the behavior of, of of these banks over that period, Stephen.
0: Okay. A part of what you said, um, and this is complicated to understand, but part of it is about what I suppose people would call information asymmetry. Some people knew more than others. People who know more are going to then able to be at an advantage in this market. The question is whether they should have known more or not.
1: No, there's no way they would have known more, Stephen, as I said, because, I mean, so when you're looking at, 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 again, some of these things, the kind of the the checkpoints around the manipulation, um, you're looking at one intent, ability to influence price, and then the existence of an actual artificial price, and that also then being tested as causation of the artificial price. And so um, these activities that were taking place were actually then creating, um, I guess, synthetic movements in the market and manipulating those movements. So an ordinary, uh, you know, trader, ordinary investor wouldn't have sight of that kind of uh, of, of, of that information. Um, and as we said, is that these chat rooms then were creating manipulation strategies in the background to ensure that these prices do get manipulated. And, and, and I think that's one of the things, and I mean, some of the literature that has come out, you know, suggests even that, you know, um, this can ultimately impact expected returns of an investor by as much as 10%. And so it's really, it's not, it's not inconsequential uh, when you think of the kind of impact that this can have, um, even in terms of the market pricing. Um, and therefore also then speculators tend to sit it out when there, there aren't enough controls in our market to be, ensure, to be able to ensure that we aren't able to, to, you know we've got a market that actually functions optimally.
0: The Competition Commission in 2017 said they would get a result here very quickly. What's happened since then? I mean, I'm, I'm not a banker, I don't follow this very closely, but six years ago is a long time.
1: It is a long time, Stephen, and I think it uh, it goes back to the point I was making around in the kind of the process of having to prove manipulation, the extent of the manipulation as well, and the kind of impact that it would have had. Um, then ultimately, to be able to push that to the tribunal for the determination. And I think also, you know, what's quite important to note, Stephen, I think is the impact this. Uh, you know, will have in in how uh, the FATF continues to look at South Africa from a grey listing point of view because these are financial crimes, right? And so um, these are some of the things again that I think really don't help our cause when we are talking about, of course, being able to go back into global markets. Um, and get off the grey list as well because we don't have the right, um, I guess, behaviours in our economy to be able to ensure that we are able to participate, particularly in those global bond markets.
0: Some of these banks say the Commission does not have evidence against them. and In fact, they're arguing that in court. Could this now be the issue? And This will be a very technical question, what evidence there is.
1: It'll ultimately come down to that, Stephen. And I mean, I'll even take you to, you know, the U.S., um you know uh I think it was about twenty eighteen actually when Deutsche Bank was the last out of uh, sixteen banks second last out of sixteen banks to to uh, ultimately you know uh, accept a fine of two hundred and five million dollars at the time and uh, that had been an investigation that had gone um over i guess again manipulation behaviour from two thousand and seven and twenty thirteen and so that is quite a long period, right? You are looking at about six-year period even there um, in terms of really, I think, getting to the bottom of the currency manipulation activity that was taking place. And all the banks seemingly trickle in um, based on ultimately the raids that take place. And so there were raids that were taking that, that did take place at the banks uh, that were conducted by the Competition Commission. Um, I think it's then all ultimately, as you said, in the process of proving, uh, like I said, those four things, intent, the ability to influence the existence of an artificial price, and then ultimately then that bank being a uh, participant and causing that the price to be artificially uh, uh, you know, moving whether up or down.
0: Safi Soskin thank you so much. Managing Director for ESG Analytics. As I said, it is a technical issue, but we've got to try and get to the bottom of this. 19 minutes to nine, continuing your mediated conversation around the manipulation of the RAND. Chris Gilmore a banking analyst. Chris, good morning. Thank you for your time. Good morning, Stephen. Most of us don't understand banking. Is it normal for bankers or traders who technically compete with each other or work for competing institutions to be involved in this kind of communication? Do bankers from different banks talk to each other all the time, even if they're supposedly competing?
2: Yeah, look, they do. Um, it's the degree to which they talk and, and the kind of chat that we're talking about here that I think that's uh, it's at, at issue. Um You know, as long as as, as it it's it's kept to a completely factual basis, as long as there's nothing unto war, there's no kind of front running, as your previous um, uh, caller was talking about, um, then then that's fair enough. You know, it's it's all about you know keeping an an open market. Um, But I think we've got to bear in mind a, a couple of things here. The rand is one of the world's best traded currencies. Having said that. It's it's traded amongst a relatively small number of uh, participants. You know, it's not like the dollar and the um, and the euro and the pound and stuff like that. It's it's it tends to be dominated by a relatively small number of participants who all know each other, and that can over time breed a degree of familiarity
0: that uh, is probably not not a not a good thing okay so the issue becomes what exactly did they do wrong but there must have been moments when I mean let me put it like this were there moments when they would know they're crossing a line I mean there must be well I would have thought so um I mean yes
2: absolutely um as you pointed out right at the very beginning Stephen Hine this is not a case of holding positions for the long term. I mean, you'd have to have huge balance sheets, okay, banks do have huge balance sheets, but uh, particularly with reference to the, the, a relatively small currency in in, in world in world terms, um, you know, to to actually do this I sort think, of thing. This is for short term movements, and I think you know um, you would they would have. Um, privy in, in, information that um, said to them look there's going to be a big movement in um, in the rand because of an import or an export deal and let's get together and do a little bit of um, for nuking for want of a better expression of the of the exchange rate um and I think that's that appears to be, be what has happened it's been collusion.
0: Um, on on a fairly grand scale. So, I mean, so many banks are involved in this. So this is a large group of traders. I mean, clearly they all all drank together regularly, you know. They all knew each other regularly, and a lot of this was happening, in fact, almost all of it, was probably not happening in South Africa.
2: Uh, Well, it would have been in South Africa, it would have been in London, it would have been in the States, it would have been in quite a few places. As I say, it's not necessarily quite like what you would have with... um, Euro, pound, um, and and dollar, but um, it's r- a relatively relatively small number of participants. So that's why I say I think the ability to actually have this familiarity, uh, which in turn breeds contempt, um, is 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 quite is quite large.
0: Would people have made a lot of money by doing this? Would it be able to quantify how much was made or how much was lost? <laughs>
2: Yeah, it, that, that's, a, that's the $64,000 question. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I suspect, given the readiness of um, Standard Charter to, to pay up £42 million, pounds, which for them is a mere bagatelle, um, you know, uh, it tells me that the actual, uh, the, the actual stakes at play were significantly higher. So, um, yeah, look, I, I suspect that it, it, was, it was probably an awful lot higher than that. Um, and, and the same goes for Citigroup. And so the natural corollary to that is, um, are we going to see more uh, and bigger fines coming out in the future? Um, probably, yes.
0: Hmm. You mentioned that, you know, the 42 million rand fine for standard chartered. I mean, you said bagatelle, but it's it's basically nothing, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's someone's coffee budget for a week. Not quite, but yes
2: <laughs> I mean okay, that's a, it's a British bank, so divide that by 23. two million pounds. I mean, please it's, it's nothing. It's, it's, and if that is an occupational hazard uh, for, for want of a better expression of doing um, trades in uh, in South Africa and on, on, on the rand, Uh, And and the Rand is a fearsomely difficult uh, currency in which to try and do business at the best of times. It can turn around and bite you when you least expect it. So um, yeah, um you know i i think the rewards have to be significantly greater than than the fines
0: okay so then all of that means that the incentive for this to repeat you're talking about people who know each other you're talking about people who even now dispute that there's evidence against them generally speaking and uh, the one company that has recently pled guilty only copped a fine of two million pounds so what we're talking about then is the best possible incentive, uh, people call this moral hazard, to do it again. In other words, it is incredibly likely that people are going to do this again and they're not going to be particularly worried about what happened last week or what will happen in the future.
2: Uh, you, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I think you know you, you have to have punitive um, uh, punishments, pr- proper, proper punishments for, for this type of thing. And um, what you've had now uh, is is not punitive really at, at all, relative to the kind of money which I suspect was probably being made by them in the first place. I, I say, I don't know. I mean, let let's also bear in mind this this was not a one-way trade. This would have been buying and selling. and um, you know, so it would have um, it would have happened on both sides of the equation. So we, we we can never really tell and and trying to get to the bottom of this, in terms of putting in expertise to try and delve into the 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 minutiae of this is going to be the devil's own job it's going to be incredibly difficult to try and get and that's why i think the the, the banks perhaps are taking this this attitude are saying well come on bring it on do your worst um because you you're not, you're not going to find anything else and it's a it's a dangerous strategy
0: hmm. Um, okay, so this is now going to keep continuing. It's also going to suggest to people, and I'm going to talk more about this with our next guest in a moment, that people are right not to trust bankers. It is going to feed the sort of anti-banking lobby in the best possible way.
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, you're, you're quite right. Um, because th- this, it, and, and, and again, your 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 previous um, person on, on the line here made the very good point that South Africa, having been grey-listed, This is the last thing in the world that south africa needs at this point in time um south africa's got to be seen to be squeaky clean and and that's not what's happening um okay a lot of this has happened many many years ago um but you know it's got to it's an end has got to 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 be to, to to come to this and um there has to be uh finality there has to be some sort of uh prohibition on, on this type of thing so um yeah to answer your question now look i think um this it, it doesn't it casts the whole banking industry in in a bad light definitely without a shadow of a doubt chris gilmore
0: thank you very much indeed banking analysts do appreciate the time in a moment iraj Obedian, economist and ceo of pan-african investment and research services on what impacted all of this have on us the conversation around the manipulation of the rand will continue 11 minutes to, to nine mediated conversation on safm continue mediated conversation of the manipulation of the rand by the banks you with safm eight minutes to nine iraj obedience the economist and ceo of pan-african investment and research services iraj good morning
3: good morning Stephen, and good morning to our listeners
0: so we see the big international banks manipulating our currency they from what we understand made money did we as South Africa suffer as a result of this in some way?
3: Absolutely, uh, absolutely, without a doubt. And there are so many uh, channels uh, through which the economy and and the and the society, and particularly, uh, emphasise two groups suffered most: the working class, the poor, and the investment community. Uh, because when the currency gets manipulated, the first and anybody can see it. Sometimes it just jumps. 200 basis point or sometimes back. Remember, Stephen, we added the first case of it in 2001 uh, or more than 20 years ago where Deutsche Bank and Sassel and a couple of other banks had colluded uh, and the rand just went to the dog, so to speak, and there was a panic and when then it bounces back, it goes back again. What does it mean uh, 20 years later? The country gets rated because this currency jumps up and down it becomes a a source of volatility, it adds premium to those who want to invest in the country because they don't know how stable their their principal investment would be. So the first damage is that it begins to rate the country as an investment destination to be careful about, to to add premium. If the global return expected return is 10% in South Africa, you want 20% or 18%. Why so much? Because you have to, to 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 expect that there will be these massive changes. The second and most important for the society is when the rand goes down, uh, imported items becomes more expensive. Be they petrol, be they medicine, be they equipment for our factories and our farms and everything else. So the cost of doing business in the country goes up. Um, consumer inflation goes up, and then everybody knows the impact of that. Um, the, the third, the impact is that it it begins to, to ultimately lead to what is now called grey-listing. Because then people put two and two together, they see the business community, especially the banking sector, which is the eye of the, of the country from a financial point of view, the integrity of it, the rate and the rigor with which it is monitored and regulated, um, becomes questionable. Because it's it, we can see it now, second, 17 years, 15 years, 10 years. And these are long periods where the banking sector is not tightly controlled. And then next to it, you see other cases of corruption, other cases, and then suddenly the country gets a different image. And the impact of that is ultimately credit downgrade and listing at the end.
0: Okay, so the argument that no long-term damage was done by this, it was happening in a tight band, it was manipulation only for the benefit of a few None of that holds. This actually had a big impact on us and it impacted us, from what you're saying, fairly directly.
3: Absolutely. And, and the fact is, it is true that there are in terms these traders often uh, are in, in, in pursuit of their annual bonuses and they do this type of shenanigans. And it's not unique to South Africa, but South Africa has got it more frequent than other places. And as you quite correctly in discussion with Chris pushed him. And will it happen again? Rest assured. If the regime for control and for punishment stays what we have, um, and, and and you re- referred to the amount that the charter has, has, has volunteered to pay. And these are peanuts. There's nothing they can provide for it. And so uh, will it happen again? Yes. And therefore, the, although the act is short term, the the conduct, the behavior is ongoing. And therefore, it will continue to um to, to influence and and adversely affect the the cost of living the profile of the country as i mentioned before
0: um so i mean i think for a lot of people i mean i'm a complete outsider to banking yes i know bankers but you know i've never worked in that industry um but you have this idea of people playing you know, games with everyone else's money. And that's what led, I mean, you see movies like, uh, you know, The Big Short and others. And you see what happened that to, to cause the big global crash in 2009. where literally, people were playing around with money. Um, and so we suffer as a result of what someone in New York or London is doing. I mean, it, this can't go on like this. I mean, surely we're just going to have the same sort of, it's like playing roulette again and again. You know, you're just going to end up, um, you know, basically shooting yourself.
3: Stephen, let's just begin what we can't call them bankers. Uh, it's important that we don't uh, throw the baby with the bathwater. Um, banking has got a whole range of activities in it. it when it comes to the forex and, and, and the derivative players, this is where the scope for this type of manipulations becomes important. Not everybody in the banking sector is a, is a colluder and an ethical conduct, et cetera. And not all banking activities are, are necessarily inherently bad for the economy if abused, and that is not true. But when it comes to the international uh, transactions, foreign exchange, derivative playing, which is really falls into a division of investment banking, not investment banking in general. So that's the section of the bank that is left globally because of globalization, integration of, of financial markets globally and 24-7-365 trade, it opens all kinds of opportunities, as so uh, eloquently mentioned, about how um, those who are uh, privy to inside information, they know that a massive transaction has to unwind in three days' time. The market, the South African Rand, is thin, few players, so a couple of messages here and there, suddenly provides an opportunity for them to take these gaps so we need to be very careful about not calling them bankers but these are uh, uh, speculators on the uh, on the derivative side of international banking that has to be monitored and regulated very differently
0: um do we have the right regulators to do it the competition commission's been at this for a long time um and i hate to think of the legal resources that a group of international banks will bring to bear uh, I mean, they could probably keep everyone, you know, delayed for years. Well, they have.
3: Stephen, the reality is that the market, so to speak, in this head is way ahead of regulators by 10, 15 years. Oftentimes, the regulators are, are constrained by their governing legislation, by the amount that they can impose, uh, by, by their penalties and so on and so forth. And the skills that it requires to track these things down, this is an incredibly complex across many currencies, across different jurisdictions, different instruments, which are mathematically and statistically structured that very few lawyers understand and very few experts within the banking sector understand. So it's very, very complex, and therefore it creates opportunities for these traders to take the gap, and they make billions, they resign, and they go on, and the institutions are left with with the consequences, and the societies that suffer as a result.
0: Iraj Abedian, thank you very much indeed, economist and CEO of Pan-African Investment and Research Services. My thanks also to the banking analyst Chris Gilmore and starting us off today, Sofisos Kanjana's Managing Director at ESG Analytics.